Inside Northwest Sports, Episode 8, recorded May 16th, 2016, is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com forward slash Inside Northwest Sports to contribute. I would like to welcome today's co-host, Mason Hawthorne, to talk about uh, the Seahawks 2016 draft picks. Uh, so let's just start with uh, overall thoughts. How, how'd they do? Overall, I thought we had a great draft. And what I think is interesting, and I want to make sure I point out, is especially in this town, we heard so much going into the draft and then right after the draft where people sort of second-guess and really overanalyze a lot of the John Schneider, Pete Carroll decision-making. And I just kind of feel like at this point they have earned my approval blindly because of how much stuff they pulled out of nowhere before. I just think that we we were fortunate enough and we're going to miss it when it's gone. We have a coaching staff and a general manager that clearly are ahead of the rest of the league in regards to their analysis and uh, the things that they decide ahead of time what they're going to do with the draft. So I think the draft's an area where we really have a handle on it. And this year's draft, I thought, culminated that, and I'm kind of I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so why don't we uh, go ahead and go down the list here, starting with the 31st pick uh, in round one. Jermaine Fetty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was great. I think people it was kind of I think people were surprised we actually did what people wanted us to do because you know most of the time it's like oh they really need this and they we grab something other than this. In this situation, we really need offensive linemen, and they grab the next best available guy. And it's Jermaine Fetty. Um, I think the criticism on him is that he's not pro-ready, whatever that means, generally. Um, and I guess I get that in general terms when we're talking about a guy who played both left guard and left tackle at Texas A&M, which is, a you know, they see teams like Alabama and Ole Miss and Florida. So it's not like he's not playing against future NFL players. So I would say uh, that's good, plus he's huge, 6'6", 325. Is that what you got there? Probably. Uh, yeah, uh, my chart doesn't um, have that information. <laughs> okay, okay, he's huge. He's a big dude. Uh, he's a big dude. And I know that, you know, when you're talking about any offensive lineman or, or guys that we're going to try to turn into an offensive lineman, again, it's about faith. Uh, again, Tom Cable, you know, if he didn't think he was going to be a good fit, we wouldn't have used the pick. So to hear people go, oh, he's not pro-ready. Like, well, we have a guy who clearly thinks he is, you know. So... And I think part of our selections are based on that buy-in, you know, a competition uh, moray that, that Pete Carroll preaches, that buy-in thing. And if people are being drafted, I know someone's talking to them ahead of time about how we view competition and how we do this and that. So I think anybody picked anywhere knows that they can find an exit pretty quick. And I don't think we take guys who are looking for a quick exit from the team. I think we take guys who are trying to compete and make the team. And I'll take the six six three twenty five dude who played two positions that we need at Texas A&M for three years at a high level. You know what I mean? So I say yes. I'm for them. Sure. And how do you feel about, you know, uh, you know, drafting that less glamorous skilled position earlier in the draft? Uh, that's, that seems to be much more yeah, common. We just, yeah, we just didn't need it, right? I mean, I feel like we've got enough. Uh, I mean, actually, we end up getting that kind of pick uh, a couple more times in the draft where we took a dude who was a little more flashy or interesting or intriguing. So to go with the meat and potatoes guy uh, sort of is a, is a good thing. We don't really need the other things that a lot of other teams need. And, again, that's sort of the um, 
the nice thing about being uh, following a team that's this good and this talented is, you know, we don't need the splashy pick. Right. All right. Well, let's move on. It's the uh, moving on to the second round, 49th pick. It's uh, Jaron mm-hmm. Reed out of Alabama. Jaron Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In- interestingly enough, those two dudes would have seen each other. I mean, Fetty and and Reed have definitely played against each other. So that's kind of interesting. Maybe not so much in regards to uh, Reed's not really a uh, you know a pass rusher. He's more of a run stuffer, which is perfect because that replaces. Uh, Brandon Meebane, who I think a lot of us were sad to see the Meebane era end, because again, we've just been spoiled by the fact that nobody gets past that dude. Uh, but Reed is a guy that could eventually be one of the considered one of the steals of the draft. Uh, Storyline coming into the draft was about how deep the defensive line position was, and that somebody could fall to the second round that had first first round talent. And Reed is one of those guys for sure. He'll he'll probably start day one. I think he's the only rookie that you'll see start, uh, you know, game one. Sure, sure, and you'd love to see him uh, keep reloading a defense, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting more bodies in to compete at the positions that make us the Seahawks, right? Sure. All right, so then we're looking at the third round where they actually had uh, uh, three picks there. So a running back, tight end, a guard. Yeah, CJ Procise, other than the obvious thing, which he has a cool-ass name, because, um, you know, he'll score a touchdown and someone will go precisely or whatever, you know. So other than that, uh, that's your splashy pick, CJ Procise. That's like a total wild card of how that's going to affect our team because he is dynamic. He played receiver, switched to running back. It's super comfortable coming out of the backfield, running and or catching. And we just haven't had anybody like that in the Russell Wilson era. So I would even argue that that helps the offensive line issues as much as taking an offensive lineman, you think about how many of those plays Russell Wilson scrambled. This is like one more hot route, a uh, quick dump off option for him where you're, you're throwing to a dude who really has amazing hands. And uh, this is a lot of talent. I think that the ceiling for him is incredibly high. And the tight end? The tight end, um, you know, meat and potatoes again. I mean, we've got, we've got the dynamic pass catching Jimmy Graham dude. So having Nick Vanette, uh, from Ohio State, uh, the criticism might be that he's just sort of your you know normal kind of tight end. What's interesting is we kind of grabbed him because of his blocking abilities. I think John Schneider said he was the best blocking tight end in the class, but other teams that were coveting him actually mentioned his pass catching ability. So uh, I think he actually might be better than people think, and it does give the Seahawks some room to work with in regards to if if Graham is healthy or not. And then I also believe Luke Wilson is a is a unrestricted free agent next year. So developing a young tight end totally makes sense. And I don't know how much we see him in year one, but you know, as we've seen with the Seahawks before, it doesn't matter. You know, we've got guys that come up and the whole next man up mantra and all that stuff. So that's he's one of those guys. And then the next pick, the guard, you're talking about Reese Odiambo from Boise State. And I think that's just another depth that's a depth position. He's he's super good. He's a high character guy. Uh he's kind of a Pete Carroll trademark type of dude who, you know, has um overcome adversity and he's a long ways away from home. His father died right before they moved from Kenya. Uh he's people he's a big you know, uh the clubhouse like some I don't know if it's clubhouse, locker room. If it was baseball clubhouse, but he's a well well liked uh player. 
but I don't think he plays much year one. But, you, you know, that depth is important. Uh, you get injuries in the offensive line. We had that last year. So he's one more guy to help seal that uh, need. Great. Uh, and then the, uh, the Ohawks skip the fourth round. Uh, so they take a break. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Here at Inside Northwest Sports, we want to bring you unique perspectives, in-depth coverage, and an alternative to mainstream sports talk radio. But we can't do it without your support. Visit patreon.com forward slash inside Northwest Sports to find out how you can contribute. All right, I'm. Uh, we're back, and I'm joined. All right, on the phone with once again Mason Hawthorne, and we're moving on to the bottom end of the draft, so the uh, fifth round now, and uh, defensive tackle yeah. out of Maryland. Yeah, we had two good value picks in the fifth round, guys that could have gone earlier. The, the first was Quentin Jefferson. Uh, he had a torn ACL that probably cost him some draft positioning. Uh, matter of fact, I think he redshirted his first year because he had a broken jaw. So it's a guy with a couple of big injuries coming in. Uh, but he does. He's the first guy we drafted that you know will, would fit the much-needed pass rush issues. And um, you know the Hawks may only choose to use him in pass rushing packages, which makes him kind of a two-down guy. And to get a guy like that in the fifth round, if he's successful, is a great. That's a great uh, you know long bet. So I do think that you like those late-round dudes for the Seahawks because we've created a lot of expectations in our late-round draft choices as picking guys that other teams would have wanted in the third or second round when we go back and look at the draft later. So he's dope. Um, the other dude is Alex Collins, the running back from Arkansas. Uh, second running back taken. There's actually quite a bit of running backs. All said, when you take the unrestricted and you know Kristen Michael and guys who are going to be, all be competing for those third spot uh, and sort of um, featured uh, specialty backs or situations. Uh, Collins is a guy um, who's more of a north-south runner, so that maybe is more like if Rawls isn't healthy. You know, maybe he's more of an injury substitution because his running style is pretty much exactly like our number one guy's running style. But that, that, gives, us, that gives us depth and it gives us some insurance. So that, that, that is good stuff. Sure. Do we know what uh, Rawls' status is, uh, injuries last year coming into coming into this year? You know, I was looking at that uh, a couple of days ago in preparation to see, and it all seems to be pretty. It's actually with him and Graham both. They're, you know, it's all this. Uh, they don't expect them to be set back and all those sort of things. But you know, um, both of those injuries are the kind of injuries that sometimes guys come back and they're just not quite there. And sometimes that's mental. I think leg injuries and knee injuries for running backs, but when they come back, are almost always mental foot injury is the same. So I kind of think some of these running backs taken here towards the end uh, are on the off chance that Rawls is not 100% ready to go. But I kind of get the sense that he might be 100% ready to go because no one's really freaking out about it, you know, from the people who talk to the media's point of view. So that just gives us another good running back in the late rounds that could, if needed, need be, uh, fill that position. What I think is interesting about Collins is we're talking about a dude who, again, from a power conference, he saw a lot of good defenses and he scored 20 touchdowns this last year. So you think about 
you know, a power five conference player who gets 20 touchdowns being a seventh, seventh guy you pick, fifth round running back. Uh, it would not surprise me that if he got the opportunity, he could do similar things to what Rawls did. Sure. All right. Well, number uh, six round, uh, 215th pick, uh, Joey Hunt out of Texas Christian University Center. Yeah. Yeah. TCU. We like TCU players. Um, I think the criticism here is that this is a guy that, that I don't think anyone sees moving out of the center position. So it's not a dude who's being brought in to maybe be tackle, maybe be guard. He's kind of a pure center. And we seem to already be too deep there with Nowak and Lewis. And then also Hunt is coming off a lateral meniscus injury. So um, this might just be one of those loading, you know, one of those kind of let's just load the roster with some offensive linemen and, you know, see what works, you know. Uh, but he's one I could, I, I don't have as much, I don't believe as highly that he'll make the roster as some of the guys taken before him. Still, you know, cool dude, play for a good team. You know, so I wish him well. Sure, he's got some work to do, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, he's not going to start, right? Because uh, when Lewis came in, I think that's a clear long-term answer, uh, barring injury. And then Nowak, I don't think anyone likes to be replaced. So my guess is he's going to come into tra- you know, training camp wanting to secure his position with a chip on his shoulder. And then you got Joey Hunt like showing up like, hey, guys, what about Joey Hunt? You know, so um, hopefully that works out. And then uh, looking at the seventh round, uh, are we expecting uh, more or less out of uh... – those two fellas? Kenny Lawler and Zach Brooks, two more skill position dudes. I think Lawler makes this team. I mean, it, it sucks because he's going to replace a guy that, I, you know, someone I like because he's going to be Kevin Smith's spot or Casey Williams' spot, and both of them are Huskies. But if any anyone who saw Lawler play last year, he's essentially Anquan Bolden, you know, a red zone nightmare matchup, super physical, not super fast, but – Create space in tight spaces with how strong he is in the upper body. He has amazing hands, uh, and we, you know, we've actually needed that red zone guy. We kind of thought we had that before. A couple times we've taken guys and thought we had the, our red zone, you know, big-bodied receiver, uh, Curse, Baldwin, Lockett. None of those guys are that build. Um, Paul Richardson, who is apparently healthy and ready to go, is also not really that build. So he definitely fits a need. And um, I would not be surprised if he had touchdowns on his football card this next year. Uh, Zach Brooks, who is the other guy, um, a running back, is sort of a gamble. He's interesting because he's a dude that um, would have been a backup coming into this next year. He was replaced uh, after his foot injury spent last year as a backup. Was going to be a backup again. Had sort of mixed reviews in rookie camp. Um, but he has a, a style of run that's very similar to the kind of Carroll-type running backs. And as a backup, he had 5.7 yards of carry, which suggested that if he had started, he would have been fine. Um, but, of course, he has the same issues as Collins, which is there's a lot of running backs trying to make this roster. So that will be interesting to see Brooks or Collins to see how they, they turn out. And I also feel like whoever doesn't get a job probably finds a job on another team pretty easily. So that's how I feel about those guys. Now, um, that's what the people who were drafted. The real storyline, I think, at this point after the mini, the little rookie mini camps, is how quickly Trayvon Boykin, the undrafted rookie quarterback, also from TCU, uh, how much he's emerged as the favored candidate for backup quarterback. We haven't re-signed Tavares Jackson. I think it's obvious Russell Wilson's played enough years that at this point you're not really trying to have that veteran leader 
backup quarterback. You need kind of a young guy to, to kind of bring up. And Boykin is kind of that dude. He plays enough like Russell Wilson that it's not going to be a change in pace if you had to replace him in an injury situation. He's sort of known for being able to extend plays with his feet and look upfield, which is sort of a Russell Wilson trademark thing. And I think he had the second least amount of blocked passes in all of football last year for college football. So he's he's not a guy who just throws it in a random direction. He's, he's pretty intelligent, and he's a dude who probably would have been drafted a lot higher and would have been a lot, people, a lot of more people's radars if not for what is a, was a kind of presumed character issues uh, off-field incident involving punching a police officer when he was an underclassman, which, you know, I mean, as lame as that is, the people are allowed to make certain mistakes, and I think we might have just got away with grabbing a guy who, you know, is a real is really going to solidify the back of quarterback spot and, and eventually maybe be a starter somewhere. So I think it's a great gamble for us to to, to look at a dude um, who who gives us the ability to not worry and have to cross their fingers so much. I mean, I love Tavares Jackson. I really I think he's great. But I think everybody knows that if you know if Russell Wilson was get injured, we had to have four games with Jackson. Like the plays that we run, we couldn't we couldn't run with him. He doesn't have the read option skills. Uh, Trayvon Boykin's coming in, having ran read option in college, and I, I just feel like it's, it's a great fit. And if you were going to have a guy with character issues, I think the Seahawks have shown that they're the team to go to. I mean, we really you know turn turn guys with supposed character issues into guys that the community rally around, you know, Marshawn Lynch or whatever. Sure. And if they can't, they send them away like they do with, with Percy Harp. So it's kind of one of those things like you can come here if you've got some baggage. We might be able to fix your baggage. If we can't fix your baggage, we're not keeping you around. Right. So I feel like that's a thing to really rally around with the Seahawks is like we really take the character stuff seriously. So, uh, yeah. and also I think the other thing that's interesting is Boykin is, is competing with another undrafted uh, quarterback who I like and I've always liked, you know, Jake Heaps. That's a local dude. He was going to be a Husky before Sarkeesian signed Nick Montana, which put Jake Heaps at BYU. He had a really stellar career there. Very different type of quarterback, but I love it that Boykin and Heaps are the two possibilities. I like both those guys, and there were so many quarterbacks in this draft that were drafted who I was, you know, I thought were questionable. And these are two guys that I totally have faith in being good pros. So that that's exciting. Um, George Sant is a tight end offensive tackle possibility guy from Western Kentucky, small school. Who he played uh, he played basketball more than football really or I should say at a higher level he was all conference in basketball, but a clear, clearly is one of these guys who just has crazy athleticism and Schneider thinks they can you know train him to be an offensive lineman or, or tight, tight end, so that's intriguing, and then wrapping it kind of up uh, we got two guys who are trying to convert to fullback uh, USC running back Trey Madden and a Florida Atlantic defensive lineman Brandon Bryant. We haven't re-signed any of the guys who played fullback for us last year. So that's kind of a position because very few teams use it. You can get a guy to play it for relatively low money. So rather than bringing in a guy that might actually demand more money, you, you get one of these dudes like Trey Madden, who was kind of a power back anyways. And then he's carrying the mail for you and, you know, pass protection and everything else. Yeah, great. Uh, it's, you know, one other thing is the Seahawks seem to uh, really trade well during the uh... – yeah. drafts uh they seem to trade uh for value and, and not seem to give up much uh do you want to go over any of those scenarios? yeah i mean i think that's a great point i mean I, I felt like that was a point that a lot of people analyzing the draft kind of made where you know a a guy that you know they would have taken if they would have kept that pick 
also to to get another third rounder and still get the guy you were going to get. That's just knowing how to play the game better than some of these other teams, which is kind of what I was saying about if there's one area the Seahawks front office and coaching staff don't need criticism and second guessing in, it's in draft preparation. I just feel like they've proven to, that they know what's going to happen ahead of everyone else. So I'd continue to get the Richard Sherman types and undrafted Rawls and Wilson in the third round, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think we've proven that we kind of know what we're doing on draft day. And then, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then uh, best possible nickname for anybody drafted uh, this year. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought. I wish you would have told me that ahead of time. I, I, just, came, can't, I, I just came up with it because I thought Kenny the King Lawler or Zach, or Zach, or Zach Brooks Band. That's, yeah, see, all those are good. Yeah. Damn it. Um, well, I don't care which one you assign it to, but I think it'd be pretty awesome if he broke camp with a dude who, uh, you know, comes out as being the Hamburglar. Yeah. I just feel like that bring up. I think that really brings the kids in. That'll probably be Quentin Jefferson. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to my thanks to my uh, guest Mason Hawthorne again. Uh, we'll be back sooner or later on the Inside Northwest Sports Podcast. Thanks for having me. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast app. Subscribe today.